there's something about reality TV that connects to us. I'm Vicki Zimmer, a recovering media researcher and reality TV fan, and you're listening to Reality TV Mirror. I wanted to do a survivor panel because every person I met who was deeply embedded in the survivor franchise, survivor became a lens to look at the world through. I also think it's important to clarify that for the purpose of this conversation, we're talking about the American Survivor, which now has been running for over 20 years and has over 40 seasons. So this is like a monolithic franchise. But there's also other versions of the franchise across the world. Like I know the one in Spain is a lot more drinking, hooking up, things like that. I've never seen the Australian one. But the American one is really highly strategic, uh, sometimes controversial and really geared around relationships and, well, I'll let the rest speak for itself. I'm Sabra. I'm 31, and I live in San Francisco. I'm Abby. I am 24, and I live in Worcester, Massachusetts. To get the conversation started, how would you describe what Survivor is to someone who has never watched it? Uh, I would say a bunch of People who feel the need to prove themselves go to an island for an undetermined amount of days to do very complicated puzzles and physical challenges to win money and also vote each other off. That's a big part of it. So I would describe Survivor as a extremely extroverted game where people are stuck on an island with each other and have to basically survive for 30 or so days. And by survive, it just means last in the game and then vote each other off in hopes of winning a million dollars. Do you feel like people have a misconception of what the show is if they don't watch it? I don't actually know anyone who doesn't like it, so I can't speak to their experiences. But also the thing that is cool is that it's both very superficial and just stupid fucking like how many coconuts can you throw into this bag before your teammate passes out? You can love it for that, but it's also right. So I just, I think that's important is that it's, it is the superficial part is part of what makes it so fun and great, but there's also all this other shit. If you want to nerd that deep into it. Yeah. Like all the dynamic social interactions, yeah. there's so many different ways to play the game and win. As we were talking about our experiences watching the show over the years, we were realizing as much as we loved some moments, a lot of moments in the series were really cringy. And cringy can mean things that can make you physically feel uncomfortable. Sometimes emotionally, you don't know really how to process them. And I wanted to dig into that feeling that a lot of us experienced as we were watching the show. What makes something cringy? Sexism. There's just rampant. It's, it's my... I love Survivor so much, but my least favorite part is just how prevalent sexism is in it. Yeah, and racism too. And racism and just all the isms too, because there's also some seasons with some people that have disabilities and they're always Mm -hmm. some of the first off. And it basically always comes down to the fact that they have the disability. And why do you think like these isms just play out so clearly it's not even hidden yeah i'm not trying to be deep because we're like recording a conversation but i do think like maybe subconsciously i don't think everyone is this gross but you know it's gonna work you know that there are isms that you can target people with that will make them leave that other people will buy into unconsciously or consciously and i think Mm. it makes people a really easy target because you can say like she's a woman she's making our team weak and it's like okay, well, I don't want to go home. So yeah, that's true. Everyone will agree with that. I agree too. Yeah. And also like these people are starving. 
I know some of the stuff like plays out earlier, but when you get to the middle of the seasons, you're like, these people are really hungry. Their brains are not working properly. Like any barriers Mm -hmm. that they have is also so worn down at this point that they're not. Their true selves come out. (laughs) Yeah. And it isn't necessarily the self version that they want to portray. If you've been watching season 41, this is something that they're actively talking about. For better, for worse, there's a lot of debate in the Survivor community about that. They're definitely trying to work on some of it. What conversations do you have with yourself or with the show from your own perspective as you watch these like cringy moments play out? I try to just get through the cringy moments. Most of the other moments that are difficult... Like when you Mm -hmm. see someone making a stupid move, I sit there and I'm like, okay, well, how else could they have thought about this? But most of the cringy stuff is just like, oh, why did you do that? And then you're like, okay, how long until this person gets voted out? Oh, or are they going to win? I can also, one thing that comes to mind with this is like, coach. Coach is the cringiest fucking person. Oh, I hate him. For those who don't watch Survivor, coach is one of the most polarizing players who seems to always come back again and again. In his Survivor bio, he says he will do well on the island because, and I quote, I've got to come out here and I've got to be more confident, but not arrogant, strong, but not intimidating. I've got to be humble, not weak. I've got to be honorable, but not self-righteous. And the reality is he typically is all of the arrogant and the self-righteous he claims not to be. And that's, it just ends up being a lot. I hate so much. When you said like, what conversations are you having with yourself? Hamilton, my husband for the world, refuses to watch coach seasons with me because I'm always like, how could they let him do this? The fact that it's a little microcosm of society and then that they don't regulate or police people being like deeply abusive is. Yeah, that's like a component that that I struggle with because I can't. Mm -hmm. It's worse than seeing it in real life because I would say something in real life and you just have to sit here and watch some psycho like. Mm. after going through which seasons we have all abandoned due to unbearable players we got onto the topic of the intrigue and what's just keeps us coming back for more as we work our way through deep catalogs of a show there's so much to know and understand that once we watched seasons 20 through 24 we were like we need so much context we're referencing archetypes we're talking about old challenges they're saying oh this thing again and i have no idea what they're talking about and so you lose so much richness not by not being completely knowledgeable but if you don't watch every other season they reference it's not interesting at all relies on on all these like textual connections to keep the intrigue going or to keep it interesting it sounds like it's highly self-referential. Yeah. And they kind of know that too. Like they, they talk about it. Do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing that it's so self-referential? I think that it it makes people watch 40 seasons of TV in one calendar year. Like when we started this call, Abby was like, oh, it's a Cochrane, right? It makes it something you can talk about in a way you don't have to memorize the whole catalog. Yeah. You have shared language, shared archetypes and memories and All of that makes you have a community around it that other shows, I think, don't have. Exactly. It's like such a community thing. It's like I can go and talk about Cochran to anyone that's like watched any significant amount of Survivor because not only is it like he's just such a pivotal player, but he's referenced in other seasons. Even Mm -hmm. if you haven't watched his seasons, you would still get an idea for what Cochran is. It's a really interesting tension that you guys are talking about is like on one side it's the superficial fun which is really fun to say 
And then on the other side, it's this deeply referential world of archetypes and iconography and even sounds, games, different social plays. It's really in depth. So in that vein, I think it's good. I I, I think it helps the show a lot because especially like in the later seasons, you see people that grew up watching Survivor, that Survivor has been on all of their lives. They've watched all of them in real time and you see them compete and it's very interesting to see them be like, oh yeah, I knew exactly how to solve that puzzle because I've seen them solve that puzzle before. One of the best parts of this tension, as you described it, is even the stupid little things, to Abby's point, like the little puzzles. And I remember this puzzle from before and people will say like, oh, it's a cube puzzle, blah, 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 and they'll figure it out. Is an important balance because when people are being horrible and disgusting and racist, if the whole show were just... I mean, I guess that's what Big Brother is, though, isn't it? But to your point, you feel almost rewarded when you get a reference in the show. You get a little yeah. bit of dopamine because you're like, oh, I'm in on this. Yeah. You feel like you're part of the show. You're like, oh, yeah, I remember when they did that. And you're I'll- participating in this meta commentary of the, the evolution of the game. Jeff always mm-hmm. talks about how they're evolving the game in this very tribal. And that's douchey. Yeah. <laughs> But that's what draws you back is, holy shit, everyone who applies for this season watched last season and they're going to build off of it. And that's super interesting. So you get to sort of be a part of the evolution in a way. And I totally agree with what you were saying about that, the dopamine hit. So I feel like relative to both of you, I came onto the Survivor game late and I only started watching it because Abby was watching it. Um, And... For a long time, when I was trying to figure out what seasons to watch, there would be all this commentary online of, oh, don't watch this season until you watched at least five other seasons, because the gameplay is so good. And if you haven't watched at least five other seasons, you're not going to appreciate how good the gameplay is. Or I waited a long time to watch any seasons that have returning players on it because I didn't know those people's stories. So I wouldn't understand what moves they're trying to make or if they were trying to pull a trick on somebody or any of those things. So I, I feel like I had to onboard in a way. Mm-hmm. And I'm still not at the level like I haven't seen a season with Cochrane yet, even though I've watched now over 10 seasons, which feels like a lot in a 10 month period. According to the spreadsheet, it's 11. Just for reference. Oh, that you've watched. Wow. <laughs> thank you for thank you to my librarians on the call. <laughs> so it's been rewarding. And it's it's almost like you're developing mastery over something. Yeah. Which is interesting. So like looking back at the survivor that you've watched, what sticks out to you as like the most quintessential survivor elements? Okay. I think the parts of the game that stand out that I would call elements are uh, relationships between people, mm-hmm. obviously. Personas that people create, like your, not even persona, like your mythology. So your personal <laughs> mythology, your relationships with other people. Um, to Abby's point, like the hunger and what it brings out in you, which we haven't really talked about. Um, <laughs> and then just this whole, um, like the whole strategy piece that lays on top of it, right? And then, and then I guess games. But by strategy piece, I mean like you have yourself, how you relate to other people, but then what you choose to do with those relationships is much more complicated if you're a good person in the real world. Um, Do you choose to use that person or throw them under the bus or whatever? So I consider that a separate piece from your relationship, not to quote JT, but to play with your head and not your heart, even though you always follow your heart. That's a good one. 
Thank you. I was thinking of elements differently than you. I think of elements as like, why isn't it just a show where they have a bunch of people on an island and they have to vote each other off? What makes it interesting? And to me, it's like the tribes and the tribe switching. So like the fact that you have this, they call them families even sometimes, like the, the contestants, like you have these people who have to work together for survival. And then all of a sudden it's a tribe switch. And now you are competing directly against those people. And then lo and behold, there's a merge. And now everyone is individuals. And you have to figure out what relationships were important to you. What relationships are like well-established that you can truly trust this person that you've known for three weeks and you've been sleeping next to in the dirt and the filth and hedge your bets on them and not vote them out even though you possibly could. I think a lot of the tribes and the tribe switches and the merge are like really critical elements to Survivor. There's three elements to it. First, very meta, which is where I started. Your mythology, how you interact with other people. And there's like the framing within which those relationships exist, which is your tribe and your tribe switches and all of that. Then there are the like little tricks that make the game more interesting, which I think is idols or, you know, whatever, like weird clues or hints or all of the things in the newer seasons. And then to your point about leaving out tribal, I think tribal is the heartbeat of the game, that the engine that makes all these other pieces. How has watching the show changed how you approach your own life? Wow, Vicky, that's a banger of a question. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really excited to hear, hear your reflective responses. This is going to sound like so up my own ass, but we, whether we admit it or not, to my point about mythology, everyone kind of has... A mythology of themselves, right? How you see yourself, how you hope the world sees you, how you position yourself in your relationships, the narrative you tell yourself about your life. Um, God, this sounds so ridiculous. <laughs> but like, no, lean into it. But it has, that has been something that has been very interesting for me to reflect upon. One, because I feel very sensitive to like, like poor Jerry from Australia just got treated like such shit after the show. And I bring that up because we don't like treat people on TV like they're people, right? Someone makes a dumb move and we're not like, oh, fuck, he's so hungry and he's so tired and he really misses his sick mom. We're like, my God, Malcolm's a fucking idiot. <laughs> That's a really unfair way to, to evaluate people and their actions. And so I think I like quite prefer to be mean, I think, as Vicky knows. And I have found it quite interesting to reflect on the way that in my own life, I guess it brings a kind of like compassion. And I think that I'm a way and that's probably the way the world must see me too. And it just makes you stare in the face of how deeply complicated and intense and emotional, even surface level, superficial, dumb game show relationships are that that complexity, if you're willing to reflect on it is really applicable and very interesting in the way that you engage with the world. I completely agree with you. It's just like caused me to have a lot more like a self-reflection into like how I present myself to the world and mm -hmm. how the world might perceive me and how that differs. And it's made me hyper aware that maybe the way that like, I interpret other people's actions is kind of superficial and shallow that like, oh, there's all this other stuff that could be going on. And basically how being a villain in some situations might be good for me, but also it's not something that can necessarily go away with people. People do have a tendency to just label mm -hmm. and that's then what always sticks in their head. And you see it time and time again in the game where if, as soon as someone's labeled as something, that's what they are. So it's maybe hyper aware of 
some social interactions that maybe I haven't picked up on before. Well, and you're touching on something so interesting too, because if you think about other TV, non-reality TV, whatever it's called, and if anyone even watches it. No one, no one watches it. A show <laughs> like Succession. A show is lauded if a villain is complicated, if sometimes you feel for them and sometimes you agree with them, even though you hate them. That's like incredible TV writing, movies, whatever. Yeah, I think of also like Serena Joy on Handmaid's Tale, where she had a huge part in creating a horrible society, but yet you saw her being oppressed as well. So it's like, how am I supposed to feel? Yeah, and then you watch, you know, Tony or Spencer being a complete psycho the whole time and super sexist. And then at the end, you reflect on it and you're like, oh, oh, wait, this is just like a kid. And you see these little glimpses of, of these things that just happen organically because of both the environment and the absolute fucking iconic magic of Jeff Probst that other <laughs> things strive for relentlessly and they have oh my god he's that's another thing I try to listen like Jeff Probst we say that in our house oh same same that is definitely like something I strive to like figure out the intricacies that Jeff Probst can figure out in a minute it's yeah yeah, he sees, he sees society and social interactions for what they are, not yeah. for what they're trying to be. Yeah. He'll call them uh, on it. Totally. Yeah. The other thing that watching Survivor has made me like hyper aware of is info dumping and just how dangerous it can be, especially in this yeah. game, but people just info dump and it's usually their downfall. They'll sit there what's, and they'll say, what's the definition of info dumping for you? Basically, someone will ask you a question and they'll just give way more of an answer than they necessarily need to. They'll give too much information and they go too far. Yeah, I would second that. The like, keep your cards a little closer to your chest lesson that you learn. Yeah, and I think that's really relevant for a lot of situations in life. For like, how much do you share about your personal life or in work? Like, how much do you actually need to explain that you've done? Or what you're trying to accomplish and why. It's really like, how do you read the room so that you don't screw yourself in the process? Yeah, Yeah. and to the earlier points, it makes you a little less judgmental, a little more healthy skepticism of the people around you. Yeah, so it's like the people around you. And then also, we've talked a little bit about like how we see ourselves. And I guess for me, what really drives me into Survivor is identifying myself or aligning myself with certain people and like questioning why am I aligned to that person it's interesting to think who's approaching a problem similar to how I would approach something and then asking myself that then sometimes I question my own morality or like if I was in the situation what would I do or if I made a relationship with that person what would I feel like I owe them what's at stake how would I navigate that Yes. Going through that exercise of reflection and alignment and things like that is there's so many iterations of of the show, right? There's so many seasons. So if it's like, hmm, in this situation, I think I would do this. Then on another season, you might see a similar situation that's a little different. They get subverted and maybe something entirely different happens. Like it's the same situation, but like one thing's off. And you see the consequences of that. So it becomes branching moral logic in a way that I think is like, we never really get to see. You see this play out in some of the later seasons when people are sitting there and they're like, I know I should do this. This is what blah, blah, blah would have done. 
but does it make sense mm-hmm. for me to do this? And they have internal debates and they sit there and they go through like those trees um, and they just, sometimes they get stuck and you're like, how did you decide to do that? Then I think in a sense, it's like you're seeing the most day and night version of capitalism play out, right? So like you're trying to achieve these certain milestones. What are you willing to do? It's so interesting to see what do you think you should do to be successful versus what actually makes you successful. And this goes back to what you're saying with you play with your head, not your heart. I would argue that a little bit because I would say after like season nine or 10, a Mm -hmm. lot of people are not playing to win and not even like to get on TV or be famous, but to be a part of that folklore that you talked about earlier. Yeah. Like Brandon Hans, not trying to win, just trying to become an icon. I mean, yes to capitalism for sure, but there's a component of it that is you get to see the value trade off of, okay, Mm -hmm. I could get a million dollars or like I could be a fucking legend in this very <laughs> tiny niche world you keep this show started as what would you do for a million dollars that very yeah. black thing was how it started but as it went on this folklore element comes in this resume comes in this the gameplay has evolved and therefore you can actually lie and it's become this like very complex set of choices about which of these things do you value more and do you value money or lying to your friend do you want to be a legend in this niche world do you want to be true to your heart the whole way through people play that game are you just trying to prove some specific thing to somebody and then you're fine to go home and end of the day then end of the day then what do you root for i don't know if i like to think that i'm rooting for someone to win Okay, I agree with that, except, and I feel a little dirty about this. <laughs> I think it's 35 or something. It's very recent, um, but there's a veteran in it. And early in the season, like, uh, bamboo pops in the fire, and he has, like, a really big reaction to it. Oh. And I remember it being so pointed. I was like, I fucking want this person to win, and I don't care about the rest of the gameplay. And that was really unique. I had never felt that before. Mm. And I think the game felt like that too, but that's like, I think ghost Island, I think it's ghost Island has someone on it who you're just like, I just want you to win. Yeah. There are, it's more often that I'm like this fucking person cannot win. To bring this conversation to a close, what do you wish we talked about that we didn't? I wish we had talked about every season that we've watched and every episode and every move that happened in it and which were the best and most interesting and what the most iconic idol plays were. And who is the absolute worst survivor and who is the absolute best? Yes. First, go watch all of Survivor (laughs) and then get into Reddit for Survivor and start comparing alignment charts. It's going to blow up your whole world and I just wish that joy for everyone. I would say go watch Survivor, start with Kageon, and then just start at the beginning. Besides that, watch Survivor because it's a great show that will really spark some introspection in not necessarily too deep of a way, but just more about how you think about things versus what maybe other people are thinking. There's something for everyone, right? Do you like really complicated coconut puzzles? Survivor is for you. Do you like boys with no shirts on? Survivor is for you. Do you like deep anthropological commentary about the development of society and scarcity environments? Survivor is for you.
That concludes another episode of Reality TV Mirror. Don't forget to go to realitytvmirror.com, apply to be interviewed, and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Bye!